Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. And that's what we're going to talk about today, setting the table uh, as we prepare for next Sunday. But we don't hurry toward next Sunday. We want to take every day in this process and, and gain everything that we can about the depth and breadth of Christ's sacrifice for us. Um, because this is a fabulous meal um, that he sets for us. And not just at the communion table. I want us to think differently when we think about the table and the meal. Certainly, we had communion last week. We'll have communion this Thursday night at our Monday Thursday service. But I want to think about coming to the table more broadly as inviting people into the very life of Christ. Um, because that's where, that's where we find that ultimate fulfillment. And we are all called, by the way, to set the table for someone else. Some years ago, uh, we had an experience of a, a profoundly memorable meal at the home of my Uncle Red. Uh, most of you probably have, uh, you know, wonderful uncles and aunts that you remember. Maybe some are still with you uh, that inspired you and gave you great joy. And my Uncle Red was one of those. My mom had three, two brother, uh, three brothers and two sisters. Uh, and what a loud, rowdy family the Irwin family was. Uncle Red was a was a really special guy. He he played. Uh, football in college. He played semi-professional football. He was in the Navy, was a decorated hero as he saved several sailors on a ship he was on that was hit by enemy fire. Uh, went on to have a long successful career with the FBI in New York City and then eventually retired to a gentleman farm in the Shenandoah Valley. And we used to love to stop at Uncle Red and Aunt Annie's house when we would go back and forth to Rhode Island. Lynn is from Rhode Island and we would stop and see him. And one particular year my uh, my uncle my mother had ridden up with us as far as his house in um, in Woodstock Virginia in the Shenandoah Valley she and we spent the night there dropped her off and then we went on to Rhode Island she stayed we're going to spend the week with Uncle Red uh, the next night uh, they went to bed and my uncle Red never woke up it was time for him uh, to go home, and he did and it was quite a shock uh, but it but it my uh, my cousins who were he has three daughters uh, they decided to put together a gathering there was a service and and they implored us to stay in Rhode Island this is your vacation come and and we'll have a big party at his house when you come back from your vacation and so that's what we did so we came back in uh, Woodstock Virginia we're going to have this big gathering lots of uh, family there to celebrate Uncle Red. So, of course, there's going to be a lot of food, uh, and, and he had this chest-type freezer, and we decided to explore and see what might be in there because he was quite the gardener as well as a farmer. And we poked around in the freezer, and there, of course, just as we suspected, were these beautiful bags of, of frozen corn that he had cut off fresh 
and frozen and beautiful half runner beans. Can I get an amen for half runner beans that you, that you, I mean, you know, and I love, you know, the way the French will crisp, cook a bean crisp tender with just a little lemon juice and some basil on it. That's all good. But I'm also a, a country boy at heart sometimes. You got to have those half runners just hammered in a pressure cooker with a piece of fat back about as big as your fist. Amen. So, you know, we saw the corn and we saw the half runner beans, but then as we continued to, to dig through the freezer, there it was. And my cousin Nancy said that we looked like those guys on Raiders of the Lost Ark when they looked into the Ark of the Covenant. We were staring down into that freezer, our faces melting as we looked upon this box of Omaha steak. He had a gigantic box of Omaha steaks, you know, Chateaubriand and filet mignon and ribeyes. And man, we, oh, we were all over it. So we got all that stuff out and we started cooking. And we were cooking corn and cooking beans. And they were making salads and making desserts. And everything was just about ready to come off the grill and out of the, out of the ovens and, and whatever. But nobody had noticed that the dining room table was still covered with boxes of stuff they had unearthed after Uncle Red had died. And they were, you know, just going through his personal effects. And so from out at the grill, we heard my cousin Nancy scream in a good way. But she yelled, would somebody please set the table? Because we didn't have any place to go with all this food. And so we did. And, and I remembered that. And I, when she did that, I thought, you know, that's got sermon potential. And, and it does, and it does, because we're going to read a passage in a minute, and that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples in particular in this passage, but he's saying it to all of us. As we, as we get ready to go into Holy Week, would somebody please just set the table and make sure that everyone understands that they have a place at the table where Jesus shares his life so that we might have abundant life. What a memorable meal that was uh, with, with my cousins and, and family members. Because you know, at family meals, that's where, that's where identities are formed and lived out. And at our house, whenever we were growing up, and when, I mean, when our girls were growing up, and Lynn and I always make sure we had as many dinners as we could around the table every night. And that's where we told stories of the day or stories from the year before. And we sang songs and quoted movies and threw wadded up napkins at each other and established our identity as the trotters with, with Lauren and Christy along with Lynn and me. But we do that. The table does that. It helps us establish our identity. And that's what Jesus wants to do as we, as, we, as we are invited to his table, if you will, his life. And as we invite others to find our real identity in him. And, and what makes up a memorable meal if it's not great food, a special place, and special people? And that meal that we had in the Shenandoah Valley was just that. We, we had more food than 10 families could have eaten, and it was fabulous. And it was in this, this beautiful place that Uncle Red had settled in, in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, and the people, of course, were people who were gathered because of his death. We were gathered together, but we celebrated his life, and it was such a beautiful thing. And I think that, that that's what makes a memorable meal, and, and we're going to talk about this 
ostensibly the, the, the passage that we are reading is about Jesus inviting the disciples to help prepare for the final, the last supper, we'll call it, the Passover meal. But we celebrated communion last week, and again, we will on Thursday. We're not celebrating communion today. So what I want to do is focus on what the meal represents. You know, it's a sacrament in our church, along with baptism. And a sacrament, as I learned in seminary, is simply something that you can touch that gestures toward something you cannot. The waters of baptism, we touch the water, we feel it, we feel it as some are immersed in it or as people are sprinkled with it. And it reminds us that we are cleansed of our sin in the living water of Christ Jesus. And in Holy Communion, we taste the bread and we taste the juice. But, there's, but, but what we're doing is we're tasting the love, the sacrificial love that Jesus poured out for us. And I want to talk more about that today as we'll experience communion again Thursday night on Monday, Thursday. So let me read from Luke's gospel. This starts in chapter 22, with verse 7. Then the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb, then, the day, then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Very specific language there. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray right now that you would, would just lift us in your spirit and carry us to that room. Help us, O oh God, to, to be with the disciples as they hear the call to set the table, to make the preparations, that we understand more deeply what that means for each of us, what is both an incredible privilege to be invited by the king to the table, but also a responsibility to invite others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was um, studying this week, I always read several commentaries trying to get different angles into the passage uh, because this is one of those that we read every year, at least this version or usually this one or John's version of that Last Supper. And, you know, we always want to try to find something new. And I was reading, I think it was Zondervan's commentary on Luke, and I found this quote. And this is by a theologian I'd never heard of before, but I love the quote. I'm going to read half the quote now and the other half of it in a minute. His name is Paul Menear. I just want credit to go where credit's due, so it's not original with me. But he said, as he was talking about, as he was talking about this meal and this, that Jesus was inviting them the disciples too, and the greater meaning of it all. He said this, the table becomes a place where human need meets divine grace. And that's true at the communion table, but it's true as we invite people into the life of Christ. It's where our human need meets this divine grace in him. And what a blessing that is. And so I want to talk for a minute about, about how they prepared for that. There was food, right? There was food, there was a special place for the gathering, 
And there were the people. And, and who were those people? And what was that place? And what was that food? For just a moment, let's pause there. Um, in verse 7, uh, again, I want to go back. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. I think there's a beautiful double meaning here, as there often is in most passages of Scripture. But here, of course, they're talking about the lamb that represents what happened when Jesus rescued his people from the hands of the Egyptians. You'll remember the Hebrews were in Egypt and they were enslaved and Pharaoh kept making things harder on them. And Moses had been sent uh, by God to, to get them out of there and, and, and the Pharaoh would agree and then he would sort of uh, retreat from the agreement and he would decide no you got to stay and so there were all these plagues and we remember with great with great remembrance and awe uh, that final plague uh, where the angel of death would pass over and and all the little boys would die and yet God said to the people if you will through, through Moses, if you will take the blood of the, of the lamb, the Passover lamb, and sprinkle it on the doorposts of your homes, then the angel of death will pass over your house. And so that was the deep significance of this sacrificial lamb that had to be prepared for the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And, and what Jesus was also trying to get them to understand that there was one more sacrificial lamb and he had to be sacrificed on their behalf and that was coming and they needed to prepare people for that because, because that's, that's the food. Our food, the food of this feast is Jesus himself and it's not just his body and blood. It's the purpose behind it. It's the sacrifice. It was his, it was, it was his mission it was his goal it was his life it's why he came was to become a sacrifice for us that we would be blessed as the song said in his sacrifice we would be blessed with gain gain before before uh, far beyond anything we could ever imagine and I think Jesus wanted them to experience something of the joy of that before it happened so that they could understand more the depth of it. When food is given sacrificially, it's, 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 it's just remarkable the impact that it has on you. When I was blessed to go to Africa, it's been about 12 years ago now, we went to various villages. We were in Ye, Sudan, in South Sudan, and we went out to various villages uh, to meet with the churches. There were 12 Meth. Actually, I think there were, I said 12 in the last service. I think there were 19 Methodist churches around Ye. And one was in a village called Ligatolo. And there's this big, beautiful, it was almost um, uh, like, like the mountain in, uh, in Atlanta. It's just, just like, it looks like a big rock, you know, with the carving in it. And, and Ligatolo, kind of, this Mount Ligatolo kind of looks like that. And we went to this village and we heard the people tell us about what they needed. They needed wells. They needed fresh water to drink. And we're in the process, and we've done that now. I say we, the hosting conference dug, I don't know how many wells over there so they could have fresh water to drink. And they told us that they wanted to have education for their young people so that they could become teachers and nurses, and, and that they wanted to learn more about agriculture so that they could more efficiently grow food because people were hungry. 
and they were hungry all the time. It was very common for people who lived there, adults, to choose to eat maybe four or five days a week so that the children could be sure to, to eat every week. And so when, at the end of our meeting there, they wanted to have a feast for us. And they cooked a wash tub full of rice. And they killed a couple of chickens. And we had stewed chicken. And we had this rice. And we had what I learned I shouldn't have been eating. They had these beautiful uh, mangoes from local trees. Mango and, um, and tomato and onion, this mixture that they'd put together. And before I could catch myself, because you don't eat fresh food that you didn't peel uh, in places like that. Because while it's fine for them, they live there. Uh, there's bacteria in their water that our bodies aren't used to. And before I knew it, I was digging in and, and our host, um, our host who was the district superintendent came up to me, and put his hand on my shoulder and he said, I think that's going to be plenty for now. We'll pray the missionary prayer for you and hope it all works out. Fortunately, I was spared, but we were eating all this beautiful food. But what wasn't lost on me was that we, this was enough food to feed their, their, you know, their church probably several times. And we had, we had two or three days worth of food in our backpacks, you know, power bars and peanut butter and crackers and that sort of thing. And yet they were sacrificing food out of their mouth because they wanted to honor us in that way. Now, now we, we all got full pretty early on and invited them to eat with us and they did and we were glad and it was beautiful but to but to see that they joyfully sacrificed their food so that we would be blessed and that's transformational when you're a part of that and I don't want us to miss that that's the food that's the food that Jesus is having these disciples that's what it means this food the disciples are preparing that's what he wants us to take away from that this food represents the sacrifice that he does so free, gave so freely so that we might be blessed. Jesus' sacrifice, it's his sacrifice that is the food that fuels eternal life. And when I say eternal life, I mean now and for forever. My Uncle Red was living his eternal life ever since he was baptized at Trundle's Crossroads Methodist Church when he was 12 years old. Eternal life is that moment when we decide to partner with Jesus and allow him to come and, and save us and cleanse us and we make a commitment to live for him. That's our eternal life. And it, it's on this side of the Jordan and on the other side. And it's his sacrifice. That, that's the food that fuels our eternal life, this beautiful food that we are called to prepare and set the table for. But then there's also the place. And, and I think the place is important because, because it illustrates and reminds us that Jesus wasn't ambushed. Jesus wasn't just kind of making his way through Jerusalem when all of a sudden he was grabbed from out of the shadows and put on a cross. That was his decision because he loves you and he loves me that much. It was his decision. And he wanted to make sure we understood that. He was in control. Go to this house. Talk to this man. He'll have everything set up for you. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And that place was prepared beforehand to be a place where the disciples would more clearly see for the first time the depth of Jesus' love. As that meal played out, they began to understand just how much Jesus loved them. In John's gospel, it says, then he showed them the full extent of his love. 
And that's whenever he washed their feet, which is a precursor to his sacrifice on the cross. And so this place, the place was special because that's where, that's where they saw the full extent of love. And that doesn't have to be in an upper room in Jerusalem. It was for them. You know, when Lynn and I were dating, before we were, were married, I was working at a radio station in Athens, and she was living in Knoxville with her brother and working at a, a restaurant uh, at Payros. If somebody may remember the old Payros restaurant, yeah, we go way back. Uh, and, and I would be off on the weekends at first, and I would come up to see her. And then I started having to work on Sunday nights. And so Lynn would get food from the restaurant. Uh, sometimes it was entire meals that people didn't eat and they were just going to scrape away and she would put it in a box and she would drive to Athens and we would sit in the control room didn't have to play records records okay catch me after the service I'll explain records to you we didn't have to play those we we had we had recorded countdown syndicated countdowns and things like that so it wasn't like I was going to be super busy but I had to be in the control room so Lynn would come and we would kind of turn the lights off and is get it as, as, it set the mood as best we could in there. And we, she would open these boxes of food and we'd sit in the radio station control room and we would eat these dinners together and fall more deeply in love with each other every time we did it. It was a place where we began to see, we loved eating together and saving our money and eating in a nice restaurant, having a romantic meal, and Lynn sitting up there. And I don't know, Lynn, do you remember any more romantic meals than sitting in the control room by the glow of the VU meters? And, the, and, and that, that's, I'll tell you about that later too. But, and eating this food in this special place Wherever love reigns, that's where Jesus remains. Every place is special where there's love, where love is seen, where love blooms, where love grows. That's the, that's the special place. And Jesus wants us to invite people. We're invited. Never forget. There's always special food at a memorable meal. It's always in a special place. And it's with special people. You know, there are 10 meal scenes in the Gospel of Luke that I could come up with. And I did some research and followed some of the research of some other people that had done it. There are 10 meal scenes. And I think what that does is help us to understand who these people were that the disciples were preparing this meal for. It wasn't just for those 12, or how many were there in that upper room that night. Jesus, again, he was laying it all out. This is for the world. I, this meal is going to represent what I'm going to do for all people. And for us to understand all the people that are to be invited and all the people that we are making preparations for, maybe we look at those other meals that Jesus had. He had two, he had two meals with tax collectors. One, with one, one was named Levi that would later be called Matthew, and one was Zacchaeus. And, and we've talked about it before, but I'll remind you, tax collectors were hated among the Jewish people. They considered them to be traitors and backstabbers, and they hated them. And Matthew, that was the first place he went for dinner, was to Matthew's house. It's no wonder the religious elite didn't like him. Because they, they weren't ready to accept that everybody could be accepted. 
And so the two meals he had were tax collectors. Now he did have at least three meals with the religious elite, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the scribes, and all that. And he had uh, at least two meals with his disciples. I've got a list here somewhere. Oh, he had, he had one meal with his close friends Mary and Martha. And their brother was Lazarus. Remember them? That was one of those meal scenes. He had a meal with 5,000 along with his disciples. And when he broke the bread and blessed the fish and fed all those people with, with a little kid's picnic lunch, um, that, was, that was one of them. Um, and there were four, uh, there were three different meals he had with various combinations of disciples along the way. So, so who do we have? Who's in this mix? We had followers. You had some that might be followers one day. You had protagonists. You clearly had antagonists. One of the meals with was, is, was identified as a sinful woman. I've never been a sinful woman. I have been a sinful man. And so when you think about followers and nearly followers and antagonists and protagonists and sinful women and men and all that, it's not hard to find yourself in there somewhere, is it? The bottom line is, who's invited? Everybody. There's no qualifier. Everyone is invited. Even you and me, we're invited. In spite of all we've done and all we've been and all the failures, we're still invited. And he wants us to tell other people that they are invited too. Whoever has a hungry heart, apologies to Bruce Springsteen, whoever has a hungry heart, has a seat at the table. I remember we used to have picnics down at the Cove. And you may remember some of those. Some of you have been around for a while. And there was once we had one and we had hot dogs. We've had all sorts of different food down there, but we had hot dogs. And there were, if I remember correctly, there were two or three boys. I don't know, 10, 11, 12, maybe somewhere in that age range. 12, 13. And we don't know where they were from. Maybe from another church group. Maybe from a family. Don't know. But they were kind of circling around. And they kind of had that mischievous look in their eye that uh, young boys can get sometimes. Um, and they, they infiltrated the line. And so they came in without really saying anything to anybody. They got them a hot dog. And, and a couple of the men in the church, one of the men and mentioned it to me. He said, those boys over there. I said, well, okay, okay. We've got plenty, got plenty of hot dogs. So one of them kind of hung around. And one of our men actually went over to him and said something to him. And the boy looked at him. And he didn't really react in, in any strong way other than he looked at him and heard and didn't immediately leave. So I asked this particular man, church member later, what, what did you say to him? And he said, I just told him, I know you think you're getting away with something, but you're not. You're invited. We've got a hot dog for everybody. And I thought, you know what? There you go. That's this passage. There's a hot dog for everybody. You don't have to sneak around. You don't have to feel like you're getting away with anything. You can't get away with anything anyway because God already knows. That's the good news. And he already knows everything we've done and all the good and all the bad and all the in-between and all the time we've been a cheerleader for Jesus and all the times we've shouted crucify him by our actions. And everything in between, all that we've done, we're all, we've all been part of that crowd. We've been everyone in that crowd at one time or another. 
And what's the common denominator? They all ate with Jesus. And we're invited to eat with him too. The other piece of that Paul Menier quote I'll read now. The presence of Jesus transforms the sad remembrance of things past into the glorious promise of things to come. Oh, and don't we need that? Don't we all have some sad remembrances? And I know, you know, there's, there's certainly a sad remembrance of, of all that Jesus had been through and all he was about to go through. I understand the implications of the quote. But it also applies to all of us. At the table, all of those sad remembrances, all of those things we feel guilty about, all of those times that we were hurt and couldn't help it, we just got hurt. And life dealt us bad cards. All of whatever becomes a sad remembrance. You know, beloved uncle's gone now. And yet at that table, there were no tears other than tears of pure joy that we had known him and been in his presence and we were in his house. At the table, he had prepared for us. This is the table we set the presence of Jesus, where sad remembrances are turned into a glorious future. So let's make preparations. Let's make sure we're prepared this week. Let's make sure that our table is set deep down in here as we go into Holy Week. Tomorrow night, we'll come for Stations of the Cross and we'll see some of these scenes where they were part of Jesus' passion and suffering. And then on Wednesday night, we'll, we'll gather together for a fellowship meal and we'll have worship for community care night. And that will be a beautiful gathering. Thursday night, Monday, Thursday, where we will celebrate Holy Communion. And we will remember in music. And we have some wonderful music planned for that over in the worship center with our worship band and special guests. And we'll have music and we'll have scripture and reflection. And then we'll be in here Friday night to remember those last moments of his life. Will someone please set the table, invite someone, make sure the table's set in your own heart, and invite someone else to come and experience the depth of Jesus' sacrifice so that we can begin to understand the glory that will come with resurrection and the promise it holds for even you and me. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, how we thank you. How we thank you. It's, it's unfathomable what Jesus went through on the last week of his life just for us, just so we could have eternal life, a life that's full now and a life that will be in perfect peace and harmony and communion with you in heaven forever and ever. It's too much to take in, but we'll try, and we are grateful. Lord, help us to find our place at the table and to bring somebody with us so they can find theirs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. 
For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.